It's Mariah Carey season, bitches! (laughs) Actually, I have a lot of affection for Mariah Carey. And for Mariah Carey season, there was a substitute (laughs) teacher when I was a kid who, because I did singing in all the talent shows, and I had the curly hair, and I was mixed, he always called me Mariah. And I was always like, my name is Mary. He said, yeah, I mean, I I know. (laughs) I was being ironic. And then we just had that interaction, like, once a week for, like, three years so that was a really good story. It's the best story I've ever told on this podcast. I think so. And have you guys seen that really dumb meme where it's the model walking the runway and like the all black outfit and that little like something spooky skeleton song is playing and she like does a turn and like pulls off this cape and it's mm-hmm. this red sequin gown and Mariah Carey starts playing. I've never related <laughs> to something on the internet more. <laughs> you thought I was a skeleton, bitch? I am Mariah. <laughs> I go right back into my black cape on December 26th, though, so it's okay. Oh, man. Also, can we do something together where I have an excuse to wear a black cape? Do you need an excuse to wear a black cape? No, I just don't want to go do it by myself. Oh, I, I want to be all cape. three Listen, of us. I have a blue cape. We wore cocktail dresses to the grimiest dive in Atlanta so that we could pretend we were the Grady Twins. Green velvet yeah. cocktail dresses. I want to wear a ball gown and a velvet cape with a train. Okay, but you already got married, so you really missed your shot there, it sounds like. <laughs> <laughs> well, I will tell you that one of my favorite outfits is this blue cape that I wore to teach in a couple times. And it was I just wore like a black dress under it with like my blue cape over it. And I had my hair up in a little ball at the top of my head. And one of my students, like as I walked by while they were doing individual work, she was like, you look like a black Snow White. And I was like, yes, I'm doing everything right. That's amazing. I just had to lift my hands to the heavens and accept that blessing. Your dog looks like you were lifting your hands to give him a hug. And he's like, yes, mama, I'm here. Love me. Aww. No, he felt the blessing. Oh, is that what he was called? He was like, let me see this goddess that look like a black Snow White. A black Snow White with the voice of Mariah. So this podcast is called Everything Trying to Kill You. What? It's not about Snow White, dogs, what or Mariah Carey. What the actual fuck have I been doing for almost a year? Um, yeah, do you guys want to hear the intro I wrote that had nothing to do with Mariah yeah, Carey? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I do. So, well, hello, gorgeous. But only you, gorgeous. Uh, because I always... Yeah. Okay, anyway, mm-hmm. that was my bit. It was not as good as the Mariah Carey thing, probably. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Everything Trying to Kill You, which is a podcast in which three women of color run our mouths about horror, two of whom at least have the excuse of intoxication to explain away our more absurd commentary. I have no excuse. You have baby brain. You should do brain. pregnancy brain. Oh, there we go. You're right. Okay, proceed. <laughs> Your baby brain, Jones. Uh, I'm Mary. I'm Megan. I'm Mary Kay. And today we will be discussing the first season, hopefully only the first season, real. of Netflix's original series, The Haunting of Hill House. But... First, but first, we have some stuff to tell you about. If you've been listening for a minute, like even a single episode, (laughs) then you know we are pretty fucking shameless about asking for reviews or follows because like why else would we be doing this if we got enough attention as children? Anyway, but special, (laughs) special for the new year. We have an actual motherfucking incentive for you. Incentive. Other than our love. In case our love is not enough for you. Clearly love was not enough for us, so we do a podcast. We need things. Love. Love is temporary. Things. Things are forever. Things are forever. forever. Things on the internet are especially forever. Oh, God. Yeah, that's definitely true. This is a tangible thing, though. You're right. That's true. So, like, when they dig up these ruins, when our ape overlords dig up these ruins (laughs) in the not-too-distant future... They find a time capsule. They'll find this incentive we're about to tell you about. Okay, tell us about it. So for each review and each follow on one of our social media channels, we've got the Holy Trinity, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, you will get an entry in a giveaway. And each follow, each review is an additional chance to receive the inaugural Everything Trying to Kill You Bitch and Quotes calendar. Yes. That's it's right. super cool. You can hang this calendar at your workplace and alienate all of your colleagues <laughs> with our out of context quotes. So please follow each us. Each month, a different movie. Each month, a great quote that probably says fuck. Probably. probably. 
<laughs> if it doesn't say something about a fuck or a penis or feminism, then I don't even, like, it's definitely not this show. It's not on brand, yeah. if it's not one of those three things. <laughs> what a mess. <laughs> so, follow away, post the reviews. If they are a negative review, you, you lose a motherfucking entry. Okay. Minus five. Minus negative five reviews. entries. Minus five for anything less than four stars. <laughs> Minus listen, five. listen. What if they leave us the most incredibly creative and glowing and wonderful review ever? Extra credit. If it makes me laugh aloud, extra entry. We're going to be some subjective ass little bitches. <laughs> and if we think your review is especially clever or funny, we're just going to give you an extra entry. So bring the heat. One of us is an English professor. Game That's on. me. So. Yep. <laughs> and if you quote me back to me, extra credit. <laughs> so, if you're really, really funny, we'll give you an extra entry. If you are one of our favorite reviews, we will send you a sticker. At least one. That you may emblazon upon your laptop device. Yes. Or whatever you want. And offend your coworkers less. The sticker will not alienate your coworkers, probably. So that's why you really need the calendar, because you don't want to be approachable. That's a mistake. No mm-hmm. shit, man. You would know that if you listened to the last episode. Yeah, yeah, So. When do they need to do this by? We're going to tally up entries, so we'll dig through all our social media, like little attention-hungry freaks. We'll tally it all up on New Year's Eve. I was going to say, like we do on a regular basis, my bad. <laughs> <laughs> like we did have a conversation about all of this right before we started recording. <laughs> We're going to tally the entries on New Year's. We will make the drawing on New Year's Day and announce the winner then and there on our social media. Mm-hmm. January 1st, 2019. Guys, it's finally going to be our year. I really think yeah. it's different this time. It's going to be our year. Uh-huh. This is going to be the age that we want to be stuck as, as vampires. Yes. New year, exactly. new me. Yeah. New year. You actually are going to have a new you, like a tiny one. I know. It's crazy. That's crazy. I don't know how tiny it's going to be, actually. It might be, I don't know. He might be like. No, no babies are that big, Mary. Mary's, like, holding her arms out like she's holding, like, a wash tub, like, a basin in her arms. <laughs> I'm going to balance them on my head. Like I'm, like, I'm in the jungle book and I'm the girl walking back from the street. I was going to say, okay, Mowgli, should we tell them? Well, we already told them what show slash movie we're doing. We're going to talk about Hill House. Are you guys ready? Do we feel like everything has been communicated? I feel like we have made it over the hill of information. Whoa. <laughs> Yeah, I think the baby is eating your segues. I think that we can't oversell this calendar enough because we had a bitching good time making it. Oh my gosh. And you won't be disappointed. It's true. So make sure you hustle real hard so you can get one of these. Well, we'll put it on the Instagram. I'll send the screenshot. But at one point, I just sent them a screenshot because I'd been leading a training at work. So for two hours, I was out of commission. I couldn't be on my phone. Mm-hmm. And when I picked it up, I had in our three-person text chain, <laughs> 53 unread messages. I think yeah, I also had... That's a, how excited we are. I had an additional, like, 12 in the sibling text thread while we were trying to talk about holiday plans. So I basically threw my phone in the ocean, like Rose and, and Titanic. And started singing Mariah Carey. Well, in that context, it was actually Celine. But honestly, we could call it Celine season, I feel All like. I want for Christmas is to talk about Haunting of Hill House. Let's do it. terrible Christmas present. Jesus Christ. Wow. (laughs) It's about family, though. It's about family who doesn't really like each other, so it's very Christmassy. So it is right in tune with the holidays. It is true. It is true. Okay, so for an icebreaker. Mm -hmm. This is maybe going to be our bleakest icebreaker of all time, but which family member, the Cranes, not the Hills, obviously, I don't think we have enough information to decide there yet, which family member do you identify with most? Fucking none of them. Do I have to pick one? There's so many to choose from, though. Yeah, but I don't feel like I, at any point, was like, you're making a wise choice. I find myself in you. Oh, yeah, no, they all suck. That's the thing. I find that it's usually the character that I can tolerate the least is the one that I'm the most like. (laughs) I was about to say, often I recognize myself. But we did this in The Witch, right? That I was like, I recognize myself. Yeah. And this father, because of the exact way he's fucking up. Like, I recognize the fuck up. Yeah. So then, we can do this one, but can we also maybe do which character that we want to look like? Because they are all so beautiful. We're going to have the same answer, aren't we, though? No. I don't think so. We aren't? I don't think so. You want to look like Luke? No. (laughs) I mean... I like Luke. Your life would be so much easier if you looked like I mean, that's really true. I was going to say, think about how much easier life would be if you were a white man. I mean, yeah, a lot. 
But I have roped one of those into being my ambassador in the world. Same. So. That, yeah. Same. So he apparently doesn't speak Spanish. That's right, Charles. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he tries. Puta de madre. He did great. They came back safe and sound, and I'm sure they ate plenty of food. They navigated it just fine. A lot of ham. They do pork well. Anyway. Yeah, no sabemos. <laughs> Mary does speak fluent Spanish, and I was thinking about you when we were there. I was like, damn, Mary. I'm rough. There was this one time you heard me speak Spanish. You got her home drunk in an Uber after getting donuts. That's good enough. Yeah, that's the thing. And I will say this about my white man ambassador. Um, we did run out of Seose while we were in Cuba. So we did not have enough money to get to the airport. And he traded with the taxi driver in front of the security guard some rum to take us to the airport. And then the security guard, after this interaction, says, very cool. <laughs> in English. <laughs> so that was pretty cool. See? Then y'all um, were fine. Yeah. It was fun. Yeah, it was really a lot of fun. But anyway, so the character that annoyed me the most on this show was Shirley. The whole time I was like, Shirley, stop trying to be in control of everything. And I'm watching it again. Like today, I was like, oh, I hate her because I'm just like her. Like, she is in control of so much. So when she can't control stuff, it's real frustrating. You know, Uh she's the planner and everything. I mean... I totally get that, and I relate to that, yeah. but everything else about her just bothered me so much that I refuse to say I related to Shirley. That's fine. The character that <laughs> I want to look like the most is, um, oh shit, her name just left me. Theo. Mrs. Dudley. God damn it, Mary Kay. What? You're going to look like Mrs. Dudley. She is so creepy hot. In like two years, your wardrobe will have transitioned to completely black. <laughs> <laughs> You'll be fine. You'll be set. She is just so worried about everybody's soul, and I like her for that. It's kind of- And, like, a little bit nuts, but only a little, and for good reason. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Those are all super fair. What about y'all? I want to look like the mom, because that woman wore a floor-length, like, velvet and or silk. Girl. Fucking yeah, she had the best wardrobe. Green nightgown with, like, heels Oh my gosh. The best. I mean, she was like, she herself was absolutely beautiful. Yes. Super underrated actress. She's incredible. But then she walked out in that nightgown and I was like, ugh. I just kept murmuring Carla Gugina to myself over and over anytime she was on screen. She's just, she's incredible. Wasn't she in Spy Kids? Yes. Yeah. Well, every time she and Nellie were on screen, they just had this perfect, like, dewy lighting. Like, their skin was velvet. Okay. Gorgeous. I have been yeah. trying to remember this. There are certain actresses, I almost never see it in actors, but certain women that I have seen, they have like damp eyes, right? Yeah. Where they're good at it, right? That this is a thing that they're yeah. good at. Like that there's just like so much happening in this specifically damp eyed way. Carla Gugino does mm-hmm. it. Um, this woman mm-hmm. who plays Nell. Uh, so she's she's not someone that I, I'm, I'm familiar with otherwise. Uh, Victoria Pedretti. No. She, she does great, it. Though. You know who else does it? Jennifer Goodwin. I don't know who that is. Jennifer Goodwin is in Big Love. She's in Once Upon a Time. She's, okay, seriously, like, pull her up on your phone right quick. You've definitely seen her in something. And she is masterful at the damp eye acting. And I I know this sounds way more insulting than I mean it to be. It really is this kind of, like, I, I don't I don't know. And I think I find it so fascinating because it is the opposite of me. Aesthetically, relationally, like, even if I could do it. <laughs> If I were acting in something, no one would cast me in that part. You have to be a very fair-skinned actress with dark hair I don't, to do it. No. Because all three of these women are. That's just, Jennifer Goodwin was the person who leapt to mind, but that's definitely not the only person I've seen that way over the years. There's just a number of people, and it's almost always women. And I think it's something about that vulnerability yeah. of, like, functioning mm-hmm. with tears in your eyes. Yeah. For the many, many reasons you could have tears in your eyes. Like, all the reasons yeah. you could have tears in your eyes that we don't let men do, and we really appreciate in women differently. There's also something about the eyebrow shape. Like they look a little sad all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A little sad, you know, like a little melancholy. And I think it adds to that, like tearfulness. Yeah. You're right though. All three of those actresses do that. I mean, obviously it's acting. They don't just look like that all the time, no, no. but yeah. They don't just like walk around like dampish. No, no. Or I don't know. I don't know their lives. Maybe they have nice face too, mm-hmm. which is a thing that I do not want to cultivate. Approachability, oh. motherfuckers. Ugh. Yikes. 
I used to have nice face. I'll have whatever face gets me that robe, if we're being honest. Fair enough. Fair enough. Mary, did you say which one you wanted to be, beauty-wise? Oh, who I want to be? Um, who you identify with? Did you say They're Irish? actually the same. Um, oh, okay. Theo for me. I just was often distracted from the fact that she was doing a good job by the fact that that's one of the most beautiful human beings I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. And also, as much as I loved Olivia's wardrobe, I feel like I could rock Theo's more, but that's more suitable. It would look good on you. I just did not like it on her. She had those high-waisted pleated pants. Girl, you have a slamming body. Why are you doing that? (laughs) And that gets after some of the reason I felt like I identified with her. And uh, we've all worked in some form of social services at some point. Oh, yeah. Okay, I know where you're going with this. It makes a lot of sense. That identification with the fact that because you, like, in your professional life, you are so good and so generous and so compassionate, and you have to be so reliable, like, you have to be so peak human that the second yeah. you punch the clock, you're just like, fuck it. 180. Yeah. Yeah. And I definitely identify with that. Certainly less as I've gotten older because it's not as challenging to be a decent person at 30 as it was at 22. But at 22, I was doing that kind of work. At 23, 24, I was going into work. And I think a lot about that quote from uh, Away We Go, the Sam Mendes movie. Mm-hmm. When they're talking about raising children, they say you have to be so much better than you thought you could be. I thought about that mm-hmm. all the time when I was working with kids. That, like, you just had to. Mm-hmm. It wasn't an option. You have to be better. It doesn't matter if you think you could do it. You have to do it. And then I would go home, and I would be wild and drunk and a mess and not doing any of the kind of emotional work or personal work that I was asking other people to do. Yeah, I was there for part of that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And contributing to it <laughs> a lot. Yeah, I think that... From that movie, from Away We Go, if I was going to pull a quote and apply it to my character, it would be, are we fuck-ups? <laughs> because that's my favorite line from that movie. <laughs> and because, well, I think Shirley feels like a fuck-up, because she is a fuck-up. Like, she yeah. did, and so she's overcompensating for it the whole time. Yeah. Interesting. Got our funniest icebreaker, but that was like... Got us in there, though. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. How do you guys feel about flipping the outline since we're already talking about the family and diving into the family first? I'm cool with that. Let's do it. Yeah. Let me get scrolling. So uh, we're talking about these characters who we identify with, who we don't. Do you want to go like person by person or do you want to start with this idea of the seven of them? That's cool. Because first of all, at what point were you going to discover the existence of a condom, good sir? (laughs) Oh my God. That's a lot of children. They're just, that's just like. But the number seven is in here so much and you know like the number seven in itself is symbolic it's the number of safety basically insecurity and good luck and completion yeah and there's seven of them and luke also you know he does his thing where he counts to seven and keeps saying seven keeps you safe and it wasn't until i kind of gave this a second go around watch that i realized why he was counting to seven And it's because, and they make a really big deal to kind of slow down the scenes when this happens and drown out any audio except Mm -hmm. the sounds from his footsteps. And it's because it is seven steps from his bed to Nell's bed. When he got scared at night, he would walk to Nell's bed. She was only seven steps away. So if he counts to seven, like he's got this deep connection with Nell and seven keeps you safe, he is only seven steps away from Nell when the monsters come out. And when he makes the explanation with the sugar packets, right? Like, there's seven of us, seven keeps you safe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then Nell's doing it in the hotel room alone. And I was like, yeah, it can't keep you safe. There's not seven of you anymore. No. But when one of them leaves, somebody else kind of joins the family. Like when Luke is celebrating his sobriety. Mm-hmm. And is it Nell? Yeah, I think Nell is gone at that point. Mm-hmm. And what's her name's husband is there with them. Like, at the cake. So, like, somebody leaves a picture, but somebody else steps in. So, like, at all times, there are seven family members basically surrounding the main core. Is that true? I'd have to rewatch that. That's crazy. Well, then you have the kids, too. So, it ends yeah. up being over that. Like, after yeah, but, the original balance is shaken. Yeah. It doesn't stay seven, which, you're right, is freaky. Also, I thought that, because we have, like, this whole thing throughout the movie of like, is it mental illness or is it actually supernatural? Which I thought the movie was pretty fun. Like I thought it was responsible and also let you kind of believe where you thought it was going to go until it was like, nope, Mm -hmm. it's supernatural. (laughs) So I thought that was leading up to Luke being obsessive compulsive where he has to count to seven whenever he's feeling unsafe, but it's really just a coping skill and it seems for him to work, which is cool. 
Yeah, the whole show in itself didn't, when you unpile all of the shit, Mm -hmm. didn't really read super supernaturally to me. It's literally just, just like, it is all about how grief maims us. And they're all the way they are because of the way they handle grief. And, you know, there's the seven of them and they line up perfectly with the seven stages of grief, basically. Is Shirley wrath? Because I feel like that. I had to, I made a note over here. Like I straight up wrote it out. So if we just go like in order of the stages, it starts with denial. Denial is absolutely Steve. Like he is air quote, a nonfiction author and doesn't believe like a word that he says. So he's definitely like, he spends the whole movie denying everything. And he argues about when they were talking about like the damage and the clock and everything like he just denies Mm -hmm. everything Shirley absolutely Shirley is angry she can control nothing everything is anger she has all this pent-up guilt from a one-night stand from years ago which I think she should feel guilty about that no matter how long ago it was but yeah anyway I can't imagine after that is bargaining definitely Theo it's the trade Theo spends her whole life trying to like I do this will it be okay yeah everything is a trade for her Luke there's no doubt that Luke is depression. So, you know, you've got bargaining, then you've got depression. Then after that's acceptance, which is absolutely now, like she finally came to terms, like with everything that was going on around her. And if I'm not mistaken, the order of the seven stages of grief, it also like lines up like with their ages from oldest to youngest. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Also, I think Nella's acceptance is interesting too, because she, of all of them, I think is the most, was the most self-aware and attuned to the notion that this was real, that it was supernatural, that it wasn't in her head. Even when she saw therapists and tried to, she didn't want to see it. Mm-hmm. Obviously, it was terrible. But I never got the impression that she believed that it was in her head. Like, that woman was there over and over. Like, she knew what she was seeing. Yeah. Well, even when it was all done and over, in the house ultimately, like, consumes her completely, she still goes back to fully accept and forgive her siblings letting everything happen and all that. So like, what does she say? She says something like forgiveness is warm, like a tear on the mm-hmm. cheek or something. So yeah. Yeah. I thought about that scene where Hugh is describing witness marks to Steve as his evidence that Steve yeah. has mm-hmm. in fact seen a ghost, whether he wants to acknowledge it or not. That to me very much, like that is, that was yeah. the, the metaphor for that there are scars. There is like physical maiming. This is left behind. There's this evidence, but if you don't know what you're looking at, and you won't recognize it for what it is. You can't, you have to know how to read them. Mm-hmm. So all of this behavior, like him publishing the book and capitalizing on the success in spite of the way it affects his family. Shirley becoming a mortician who is also, you know, so tightly wound that she might snap. Like all of the way they manifest this stuff, if you don't know what you're looking at, then you won't recognize it for what it is. But seeing mm-hmm. the way that they try to work through their trauma. We talked about Steve a little bit. And I think... I don't know about you guys. For me, he's kind of a, first of all, we can get it. Like, just that's, that was literally the only note I wrote personally <laughs> under Steve was just that he's real fine. The whole time I was watching Steve, I felt about him the way I felt about Harry Potter in book five. Like, when you start <laughs> acting like a big boy is when you get treated like a big boy. God. So maybe Dumbledore is keeping some secrets from you because you're acting like a petulant child. Because you're being a little bit And cussing him out in a funeral home while you're drunk, and you haven't seen him for years. Yeah. So. Well, shit, Mary Kay coming at us with the truth. I could not stand that character because he's like, oh, I'm sensitive, I'm a writer. No, being a writer makes you a baby. I can say it because I am one. Makes you super (laughs) sensitive about dumb shit, and it doesn't apply to real life. Like, those situations don't work. Also, I cannot fucking believe he lied to Lee about having a vasectomy. I can. For years. Oh, I can because I worry about that. All the time. And I am not in a position to become pregnant at this moment. I don't plan to do it ever. I've always said I didn't want kids. I, I, that's just never been a thing that I was, like, excited to do as much as I love them. I, there's a reason I've worked with them for years. As much as I love them, I just didn't want any of my own. And uh, part of the reason is that I am horrified by the idea of passing on the broken bits of my brain. Oh, I'm not saying I can't believe he doesn't want to have children. I'm saying... That's something you're upfront about when you date someone. Yes. You know? And if you don't want the same things, you're just not right for each other. And that's fine. But because he's in denial about it, like, if he really believes that he had seen ghosts, it wouldn't be an issue. But because he cannot believe that he has seen ghosts, he has to believe this other thing, but he also doesn't really believe this thing, right? He doesn't even actually think he's Mm -hmm. unwell. But it's 
the explanation he can live with instead of, like, because he's not even being honest with himself in the first place. When all of that unspilled, I was like... Yeah, it's kind of like a Diet Coke exploded in the freezer and he cleaned out the refrigerator instead. Exactly, just like that. Also, how did you know about me and my <laughs> freezer explosions? <laughs> this is a persistent problem. <laughs> my dad did that when I was like 12. He said, well... You know, a Coke exploded in the freezer, and I was like, so it makes sense that you'd clean out the refrigerator. And then he laughed at me. I do that to myself, like, once a week. Because my brain's a little busted, so I put it in the freezer, and I think I'll be back in ten minutes. I never am. Ten minutes later. I'm in a different state. I don't know what's happening. Just wake up, like, with a gun in one hand, and a different Diet Coke (laughs) in the other, and that's when I remember that I left one in the freezer back in Texas. Oh my gosh. So do we want to talk about Shirley next? Let's do it. Okay. I've already said a lot about her, so what do you guys want to say? So the way they're sitting, the night before, like, during their like private viewing at Nell's funeral, the way they're sitting, I was like, oh, obviously, because they're seated almost in birth order, except that Shirley's in front. And that's something that Shirley and Stephen keep grappling with, that he should be like, the oldest and taking care of everybody. But, but he's a little bitch, and Shirley is a control freak. There have been so many moments where his denial, like his refusal to admit that anything was wrong in the first place or what specifically was wrong has prevented him from then handling it well. So Shirley just fucking steps up. So in so many ways, Shirley has been the one, like Shirley is the one mm-hmm. that's been paying for so much stuff, even though he has all the money because nobody wants his nasty ass money. Shirley is the one that's housing Theo. Shirley is the one that like set, like takes care of and fixes, even though Steven is the one that since his youth has been obsessed with the idea of fixing things. They keep talking about fixing stuff. He should be. And he is so fixated on that idea of being the big brother who saves everyone, but he actually just makes a bigger stain. Also, my favorite quote about that relationship is when he calls her while she's embalming Nell. And he's like, well, I don't know if I'm going to be able to do this. And she's like, I am elbow deep in our sister's body cavity and you have to get two grown men to the airport. You got it. You're fine. End of call. Like That was my favorite. That's the moment I think when I was like, okay, that's why I hate her is because I just like her because I always feel like I'm, Mm -hmm. I don't know, doing more than I need to be doing, I guess. It's not a good way to be. I mean, in this case, she's right, but generally it's not a good way to be. Also, her husband is a fucking saint. Also, representation in this show is on point. Thank you. Great job, you guys. Oh gosh, it was so refreshing. Also, hot Asian dudes. Exactly. Totally underrepresented demographic. Why don't we have more of that? Exactly. Please and thank you. That's something, um, if anyone's been watching Crazy Ex-Girlfriends, that is something that Rachel Bloom has talked about when they cast, that, like, the hot guy, like, the guy she's been fantasizing about since high school. To her, it was like, duh, I'm from, like, if we're in California, it's a hot Filipino guy. Like, that's... Those were the hot bros that I knew in high school. Like, those were the hot guys. Probably, yeah. Like, that, that just seemed so obvious to me. It kind of seemed like it would be strange to set the show where I set it and not be this. Yeah. And now the world has Josh Chan and Father Braun. They're so fine. Woo. 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 So fine. Okay. Shirley. I like how they made, like, a really beautiful actress unlikable. That was also refreshing. I think that's kind of hard to do. They're all beautiful, though. Yeah. They're all just... Yeah, they definitely are, but she's the one where you could be like, I mean, and this is going to sound shitty, but like, she's always scowling a little. Yeah, not that her features are unattractive, yeah. but she's yeah. scrunched up to a place yeah. that's like me. Yeah, that's what I'm, yeah, that's what I was trying to say is like, she could be a pretty girl role, easy, you know? Anyway, okay, Shirley, check, Theo, go. Well, to find an inversion, like. You know, she is the bad bitch, right? That, like, wears leather and tells the truth. And, but also is a child therapist who puts herself through this really intense, empathetic experience because it will help these children, even though she has to live their yeah. trauma to do it. It's an interesting swap there. That's kind of how working in mental health is, though, yeah. because you have to be so mm-hmm. empathetic that it wears you out. Mm-hmm. Or at least for me, that's why I couldn't do it. Yeah, when you say it like that, it makes me like her more. But as I was watching the show, I was like... You're selfish and I hate you? Yeah, she's so gorgeous that she gets to be selfish like that. She gets away with more than she needs to. Way more, because she's hot. And that's not fair. I mean, it's good writing, because that's how it happened in real life. Yeah. But, like, what's the... 
I can't remember the girl's name that she like hooks up with twice and the girl is like mm-hmm. really being sweet, like coming to the funeral and all that shit. That's Trish. Oh my gosh. Theo treats her like literal Theo. dog shit on a hot summer sidewalk and that girl yeah. still somehow keeps coming back. Wide. That actually kind of made me a little sad when at the end like they were together now and I was like, you guys shouldn't be doing this. Like, no. You treated her this badly. You have no business being around no. her. And Trish, no, move on, are, girl. Like, this is beyond empathy now. This is like beyond being considerate of this person's like terrible experience. Now I'm like concerned about your stability at this point that you're like, oh, it's fine. Let's keep going. Like, and also, I don't mm. know, maybe they had a really good talk and they like really sorted some shit out. Maybe they're going to couples therapy. I don't know what the fuck they're doing. No, they didn't tell us. Yeah, they didn't fucking tell us. And we need to know these things about the couples therapy. Yeah. Or what are we going to say about this ending is bullshit and exactly wrong? Are we going to talk about that later? Is that in the ending? When you wrote, are we not going to talk about how the ending is exactly wrong? I wrote, oh, bitch, you thought? So, yes, we're definitely going to talk about this ending. Tell me what's wrong. Okay, so number one, there is no resolution. We just found out more about the exposition. It does not resolve itself. Hill House is still there. The Dudleys are still there. Yeah, but it's a TV show. Is there going to be a season two? Yeah. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. So on that note, even if there is a season two... No one's grieving the dad who is the best guy in this whole show. Like, no one cares. Everyone's just like, oh, here's some happy music and a montage about Luke's sobriety. But he's there forever now. They can go see him now that they understand it. No, but you can't because the house eats people. And that's where I got all fucked up. Was that I was like, okay, wait, wait, wait. Well, that's what the mom wants. The mom wants the house to eat them all so they can live there happily together. We did... Nine episodes where you have to get out of the house. You can't be in the house after dark because it will infect you and eat you and keep you there forever. And once you are there, there is something inherently malevolent about your presence there. Mm -hmm. True or false? The first nine episodes are taking us there. True or false? Every spirit, every entity they encounter, the house itself is malevolent. True or false? True. Then in the last episode... It's like, but... But are they malevolent? What did they do specifically, now that you've asked that, that was malevolent, other than be creepy? They've never... Did yes, they, ever, they did! Yeah. The guy scratching in the basement makes them think they have rats, so they buy rat poison oh, yeah. no, and kill right. a bunch of people with it. You're right. <laughs> yeah. Never mind. They, they, like, messed up Olivia's the mind. The kid with the wheelchair bangs on the wall. I'm sitting here thinking about, like, the dude with the cane, which that dude with the cane... Made me so uncomfortable. Yeah. Holy shit. I don't know why. Oh, that was but great I could... effects. Yeah. Ugh, I hated everything about him. It is totally low. The house is poisoning Olivia's mind. Like, she is not mentally ill. It's poisoning her well, mind. Yes. And then Poppy is like, I can speed this process up, though. Like, dives mm-hmm. in with the crazy-ass riddles and shit. Like, yeah, you're right. It's all evil, 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 evil. And then in the finale, it's like, but if we're here together, like, what the fuck? Y'all want to live in an evil-ass murder house together? Like, I kind of got the Dudleys, like, wanting to come back and see Abigail. They were already goners, though. But then when they were like, and then we'll all die here together and just, like, be here together, I was like, but now you're all evil. Like, you're okay with this? After, like, what the house did to your family, what you see it do to other people, you're like, and now we're on board and there's happy music? What the fuck? Yeah. So that also leads me into my point about the Dudleys being the more interesting family than the Cranes. I want to know them. Mm. I don't care about the Cranes. They are too angsty for my taste. <laughs> I want to know about the Dudleys because they make decisions and then they stick by them for decades. And that's interesting to me because you keep having to make that same decision over. These characters are all back and forth. Like, yes, but also no. You know what I mean? Like, they lack the conviction. They ain't got no muscle in them. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. The Dudley's like, what is the Mr. Dudley? I can't remember his friend. Horace. He gives that monologue in the basement to mm-hmm. uh, to Hugh, where he's like, maybe it's not my place to say this, but you might need to get her away from this house. And then he's like, yeah, you're right. It's not your place. And he goes, okay, it's not my place. But let me tell you this horror story about the shit that happened to my wife. And I didn't listen when somebody was trying to give yeah. me advice. Yeah. So maybe it's not my place, but I couldn't live with myself if I didn't tell you. That monologue is gorgeous. It is beautifully It's performed. beautiful. And also the way it's shot is shocking. So it's this incredibly slow push in. And over the course of the monologue, they cut away 
less and less frequently mm-hmm. so that eventually you're hearing Hugh responds to him, but you're never cutting away to actually see Hugh's response nope. until you've had that turn in the monologue and then you cut back to see Hugh mm-hmm. coping with what he's just heard. So it's really, really right. beautifully done. Also, my future husband will absolutely call me a towering woman. The end. Fuck yeah, towering woman, title of this episode. Girl, you're five foot three at best. I am five <laughs> foot four, exactly. Towering okay. is figurative. Got towering it. woman is about my essence. Your inner tower. Yes, Got my it. inner tower. Okay. Got it, 5'4". Which it. sounds kind of like a sex thing, but I'm not really sure how that would even work, so. Title of your sex tape. Oh, yeah. It just means you're on top. You're like a power top. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, powers. Yeah. Cool, cool, cool. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Can we do another amazing monologue while we're Let's on this track? Let's talk about monologues. Okay. So, the mediumist next amazing monologue is from episode one, when... Stephen is interviewing that woman who's haunted by her husband. Mm -hmm. You guys remember that in the very beginning? Mm -hmm. I've never seen that woman before, but I hope she gets a lot of work out of that because that was amazing delivery. Monologue shook me to my core. Yeah, I was like, oh, that's what kind of show this is going to be. Okay, because that's like she's grieving and her brain is putting stuff together. And Stephen really nails it on the head, right? He's like, well, seeing him like that is better than never seeing him again. And I think that ends up being, like, mm-hmm. the theme of the series, especially for the Dudleys, because she's like, don't tear this house down. You killed my daughter. This is the least you can do for yeah. me. Yeah. So, I don't know. I thought that was amazing. And then it kind of has a similar effect, right, where we hear Stephen responding, but we never cut away from her. Yeah. I believe it's shot, if not the same way, then similarly, where at first it does cut away to him. But as the monologue goes on, it goes longer and longer between cutaways until we're not seeing him anymore. We're only hearing him. Yeah. Very similar. Okay. Long, slow motion. Mm-hmm. We do the same thing with Olivia when she's doing the monologue while they're cleaning up the glass when she's talking to Mrs. Dudley in the hall. And then we do the same thing with Mrs. Dudley when she's talking to Olivia. When she's saying, like, trust your instinct, save your kids. In the, what would we call that room? The terrifying-ass sculpture room? The room that should have obviously indicated to you that this house is haunted as fuck? The room that should not exist because what kind of rich fucks have statues in the fucking house? The room that any Doctor Who fan would have set on fire immediately. <laughs> That's the one. The room that Mary Kay would have gotten drunk in and gone around and made people take selfies of her posing like yes. each statue? Mm. That room. That sounds a lot better than any of the stuff I was saying. Let's do that. I was just trying to keep it. I'm just trying to be funny. I tried a thing. It didn't work. Neither <laughs> <laughs> did the fucking statues. Did you see those shits? Oh my god, I would never have gone near that room. Uh, no. I would have put Mardi Gras beads on him and been like, woo! It's a party! That's how Mary Kay copes. <laughs> oh my god, yeah, if you do put New Year's sunglasses on all of them. Little top hats and bow ties. I would put, like, pasties. Like, tassel pasties. <laughs> yeah. And you know the house is haunted because you come into that room and they're, one of them's twirling. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is exactly how my haunting would fucking go. God damn it. <laughs> Ghost twirling their pasties about. <laughs> I'm gonna wake up in the night and just hear a trombone. Oh like that's Mary Kay's what? dream what? haunting. What? If Mary Kay's gonna be haunting, it's gonna be with a trombone and some pasties. I'm gonna pop out of a cake. Some you're tassels. gonna pull it out of the oven, and I'm gonna be there. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm gonna pull out like a normal sized cake. But somehow all of Mary Kay will like come out of yeah. it, and I will like a genie, oh, exactly, like a genie, yeah. like. <laughs> Yeah. And then yeah. I'm going to do a whole musical number. I'm going to be wearing my princess jasmine necklace and nothing else. Oh, so no tassels. Except okay. the tassels. With the tassels. I just... <laughs> okay, I you know, get it. It's basically nothing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Of course, of course. Thanks for helping me flesh out this fantasy. You're Ayo! <laughs> get it? If that were my haunting, I would be okay with it. <laughs> but also then you'd be dead and that would be terrible. So I'm back to where I was. It's better than not seeing her at all. It's okay. You can always come back to the house. I'll be here. Oh, I'm going to just Biden it. You remember that from New Girl? <laughs> it's like, just Biden the situation. At the end of the night, be there. That's my ghost strategy. Just gonna be there. Yep. Just when you come around a corner, you run slap into me. Just be there. Call it Bidening. I feel like if you were actually haunting me, like, God forbid, there were a situation where I were alive and you were not. A, 
I feel like I would be elderly and you would be back to your hot ass self because you're ghosting. Uh-huh. Well, duh. And I just wake you up twerking. <laughs> and you're just like popping up behind me. I'm like in a mirror, like spackling my shit and like trying to tape my eyes up and shit. I don't know what the fuck. And you just be behind me like, ooh, ooh, look at my skin, look at my skin. And I'd be like, bitch, can we not? You know good and well that Mary Kay wouldn't be gloating about her skin. She would be in the mirror, but turned around and just shaking her ass at you. Yep. I don't know why you thought otherwise. You'd all of a sudden hear Missy Elliott playing. Yeah. <laughs> That's what would happen when I'm trying to like shove myself into a corset of some kind. Then she'd be like, hee 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 just like shimmy. Like, <laughs> endless shimmy. While I'm like shimmying but against my will. Everything's just like oh jiggling. God. I just feel like reverb is the name of this game. You know, when you walk, if you don't have reverb, reverb like yeah, what are you doing? Exactly. I want to have the kind of ass that needs a subwoofer. How did we get here? I mean, I don't know. We just kind of followed the road before us. <laughs> Journeys end in lovers meeting, Megan. How did we get to this point in this tangent? I can't remember. Well, journeys don't end. That was the moral that Olivia tells you at the end. I'm hanging up this call right now. Let's talk about Luke. That ought to dampen things. Oh my god. Isn't Luke next? Yeah. We talked about Theo. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Now that we're talking about the right person, fucking Luke's story, everything about Luke just made me sad. I just want to steal that little boy and protect him from the world. Oh my god, an, child. And you're never all the way up. They're always too far down his always nose. Because he's been bit. coloring and drawing goals. He's always holding his head up. Because he's a baby-ass child wearing bifocals. You can tell. You can see the like cut in the, in the lens. Yeah. So he has to hold his head like this because he's so short. How does he go from being little and needing straight-up bifocals to being a grown-ass man in contacts? LASIK. Yeah. I guess. Can you do that if you need fucking bifocals, though? Yeah. You do one one way, the other the other way. What? Really? Yeah. That's how they, that's done? I think that's one way, yeah. I don't want a laser in my eye, Same. so we're just gonna be okay with glasses and contacts. I think that's what my dad just had done, but he had to, like, have a cataract busted up anyway, so he's like, fix my vision while you're in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Fascinating. And now he doesn't even have to use readers. It's crazy. Amazing. Anyway, yeah, he always has great luck with everything, which is awesome. Um, hopefully that's genetic. Woo! Okay, so, Luke, I want to talk about how no one believes him because he's an addict, but he's an addict because no one will believe him about his traumas. Like, that's what he has to do to be able to live. Except his twin sister, who he has an incredible connection with, and then she fucking dies. yeah. But even, I mean, that's true, but they're not having the same experience. Well, no. It's very similar, and they have that empathy. But the idea of Nell being there is comforting to him. That's true. And then she's not there, and he could feel it. And he was just like, I swear I'm not on drugs, but I'm so fucking cold. Yeah. Because her body Because she's dead. Yeah, she was sick yeah. cold and going into rigor mortis, so he was getting yeah. sick and cold. Yeah. So he was having the same reaction. Gross. Just sad. That is sad. Also, that was so haunting, where at the end of that episode... Stephen tells Luke that she died, and he said, how? And he's like, it was a suicide. And he goes, no, it wasn't. And he's like, right away, like, no, it wasn't. He knows. Ugh, vomit. Yeah, because the the youngest two knew that the house thing was real. Like, they were with with Olivia right up to the bitter end. They could see that Mm -hmm. they watched that little girl die. They still had some childlike wonder. They got it. Also, they watched Abigail die and then saw her show up in the hallway. Like, Also fucking that. Episode six, with all of those moving camera shots and the storm that crosses over time. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, yeah. Where Nell disappears and then comes back and Luke, this baby Luke, runs up to her and he's like, never do that again. I was afraid the house things got you. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what happens. And he knew it. Yeah. Just super scary. Yeah. Now we're talking about Nell. <laughs> like, that was an easy segue because they're kind yeah, of a unit. So- did we all know immediately? Like she said, bent neck lady. No, I did not know. In the course of the first episode, they go on bent neck lady, and we find out that she committed suicide back at the house. And the second they said suicide, I was like, oh, she's the bent neck lady. Oh, I didn't know. Yeah, that's what I texted Mary Kay when she was watching it. I was like, I called this real early on in the series. And I think it's one of those things, like, I don't think the show itself is predictable. I think I've just watched and read enough of this genre to, like, catch on to some, like, subtle things. But I was able to call a lot of things and I wrote the whole show for Andrew as we were watching because I was like I bet this is gonna happen I bet that's what's gonna happen with this but I did call 
Nell being the bent like lady, but how fucking horrible to be haunted by your future self. Also, being haunted by her future self is what sets it in motion. Yes. Because it's her going back. At, she, when she drops, she goes a little bit further back in time. And when she's the one looking at her youngest self, when she has that first like hallucination, I'm using air quotes mm-hmm. for hallucination, and she screams because she realizes it, that's what scares little Nell into having that sleep paralysis for the rest of her life. Yep. Some really gross centrifugal force, vicious cycle thing. Well, it kind of reminds me of the Greek prophecies where hearing the prophecy is what makes it happen. Mm -hmm. Uh, But there's no way they could have avoided that because they were in the house. If they had just never gone to the house, it wouldn't have had the prophecy. They wouldn't have done the whole thing. Right. But yeah, so that was really scary. Also, can we talk for a second about the little girl who plays Nell also? And how just this beautiful cherub face. All the children in this are fantastic. It's so hard to find a good child actor. and They're all really great. Yeah. Oh, I was going to ask if you guys have experienced sleep paralysis before. Oh, it's horrifying. I've had it once. Once? Yeah. It happens to me often. I would say it happens like once a week. I go through phases more like, so I'll have like a month or two where it happens constantly or it happens in the same situation over and over. So for example, in high school, if I took a nap while it was still light out. Yep. Every single time. Every single time. I would wake up and have that experience before I could like fully wake up and, and move again. And now it's not as predictable, but it does happen regularly. And I always, when I was much younger, before I understood it, I was like, am I possessed? Is there like a demon sitting on my chest? Like, what is happening? It definitely feels yeah. like you're being haunted because you are actively trying to move and you can tell that you are awake. Yeah. So mm-hmm. it's really tripping. Yeah, your, your brain's awake and your body's not. Well, so I've had that happen more often. But the thing that used to happen to me when I was younger was I would wake up and still be dreaming. Mm-hmm which is worse to me. Like, if I know I'm awake, it's like, just wake up, like, just give it a second, don't forget to breathe, and then, like, you'll shake yeah. it, but... Mine, just, mine isn't shakeable. Mine goes on, mine'll go on for, I don't, I mean, I guess I can't necessarily say how long, but it's definitely, like, mine takes long enough that it... It feels longer than it is, though. Yeah, mine takes yeah. long enough that, like, people have tried to interact with me while it's happening. Like, the way now is where, like, she is conscious and you can tell yeah. she's... Mm-hmm. Her husband talks her through it. But I can't, like move anything enough and I I can't I've never been able to make sound in that situation I don't know if that's just a cinematic thing that they had her make sound so it's kind of clear what was happening it, yeah but I've never been able to make sound in that situation it's more of a cinematic thing I'm really interested in that concept the way that Arthur describes it when he's her sleep tech mm-hmm. and the way that her dad describes it to her when she's a child which is like little kids dreams spill over more mm-hmm. into reality which is not really true like I mean that concept is true but it doesn't really have to do with her age it seems like I think he was just telling her that so that she could have like some peace of mind some comfort yeah Yeah. he's just trying to comfort her and I feel like most of the time kids nightmares are scarier than adults because they haven't had them before so they don't know what they are you know Mm -hmm. feels scarier I feel like I have the reverse experience and that when I was a kid my nightmares felt very scary at the time in that they were very monster-y, right? It was the kind of stuff that doesn't actually happen. You're just a kid, so you don't have any context for it. Like, there could be something under the bed or whatever. And now, like, one of the more recent nightmares I had was that Mary Kay died. Hmm. I told you about this. But then did I haunt you and jump out of a cake? No, that's why it was a nightmare. Instead of being a hilarious ghost, you just died. And then I spent (laughs) eight hours sleeping, coping with the fact that you died. So now I have nightmares. Now I have nightmares like that, where where, things that could happen that would be devastating happen. And I occasionally have super weird ones, but I dream constantly and really vividly and really... I've dreamed, like, operas. I've dreamed in, like, musicals where we burst into song, but it's really good. I dream all... I've dreamed in Spanish. I've dreamed... Oh, this. One time I dreamed my mom was a witch and she was chasing me around the house. That's... That's a real memory that you had. <laughs> Freud is probably right about that one. <laughs> it was just a little spill. That's what she told me. <laughs> oh, but oh I do gosh. think that Hugh is a really good dad. Yeah. Generally. Once he figures shit out. He tries his hardest. Yeah. Once he figures it out, he tries to do, like, the best bad thing. Yeah, but he basically sacrifices his relationship with any of his kids to preserve their memory of... To protect them. Yeah, of Olivia and protect those of them that don't believe in the ghost shit. And his livelihood as well, because he has to keep that house. And that's where they had sank all their money. Yeah. And the secret, basically, he's mm-hmm. got to, like, hang on to that. So, yeah, it mentally and ultimately, like, physically destroys him. Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. 
Not to mention Liz and Olivia in the first place. Yeah. Yeah, how those men are able to pull it together enough to make a deal about here's how we're going to protect our wives. Mm -hmm. In that moment, I will never understand how men are able to do that. They do, though. They do. It's crazy. Not all men, obviously, but the those, good ones. The good ones, like yeah. those guys, yeah. You know, their relationship. I kind of kept waiting for a turn, and I don't know if it's what I'd read about the show way back. Like, not spoiler read, but just, I don't know, I, I, I guess I kept waiting for there to be some big reveal about the relationship between Hugh and Olivia, but there wasn't really. I mean, even him telling Steve, like, you know, when we were young, we separated for a while. That's not some, like, grand, shocking thing. That's something a lot of couples go through. Mm-hmm. Their relationship really was solid. They tried to take really good care of each other. Like, we keep seeing over and over how good they are to each other. Mm-hmm. And that just goes crumbling for reasons totally outside their control. So for him to lose her, I just felt like, God, oh, shit. <laughs> Not only do you have to make all these incredibly tough decisions, but because they're about her and about the way your kids are going to feel about her, and you also don't get her way in right. on this. Right. And his not-ghost, like... I definitely had kind of like a moment when she first appears to him in the house and you realize like, this isn't his Olivia. Like even before she said, I was like, oh, that's not, nope, that's not the one that's been going to weddings and shit with you. That's just her stuck here in the house. Oh shit. And unfortunately the one that's stuck here in the house wants to murder all of your children in this house. Yikes. Mm -hmm. Yikes. She's really pretty. Yep. Not with her head busted open and her arm falling off and shit. I feel like she looks better in that moment than I do when I wake up. Fair enough. Same. But I do say stuff like, stay. (laughs) When (laughs) When I'm waking up. (laughs) Do you crawl around on the floor chasing? judge what I do to get ready in the morning. Yeah. Yeah, actually, because I get all stove up when I sleep. (laughs) So yeah, there's a lot of like this kind of rigor mortis moving when I first wake up. Yeah. A lot of rolling, some army crawling with one elbow tucked in and the other one pulling me along towards the alarm that's going off. That seems right. Fucking A. Um, about Olivia. About Olivia. Yeah, what a great actress. I feel like one of the scariest things she does is when Hugh's carrying little Steve out of the house Ugh. and Steve opens his eyes for a second and she's like dancing down the hallway. Remember that part? It's just for a second. Yeah. It's only her silhouette. Yeah. There was yeah. the brief dancing, and then there was also her just, like, creepily hobbling quickly after them when they're trying to get to the car. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, because she twisted her ankle. When he shoved her, she, yeah, she, so that, for me, that was kind of a, like, oh, no, because at that point, she's infected, like, she is the monster, but yeah. also not the monster. Like, she is chasing him because, like, the dude's running away with all of her children. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's in and out for her, like, sentiently, I guess. So I was saying that my dreams are scarier to me now because they're things that could be real. I think we've talked about this before on the, on the show that like I regularly, once a year, have a dream that I have a child or that I'm pregnant and give birth and then have a child. And because it's in a dream, it can be very real in a way that I can't imagine. Mm-hmm. And I always describe it afterwards as feeling like the kid is haunting me for a week or so. That I'll like wake up in the night and be like concerned about it, but it's not there, Ooh. obviously. Or during the day, like I'll have this like realization the kid isn't there and have this profound like grief reaction even though that it was never real yeah and uh if me going in and out of a totally fictional dream child can be that grueling for a week can you imagine like actually having having five actual children and then being dragged in and out of like what is real about them and what isn't like not being able to tell i can't wrap my head around that to begin like at all at all yeah I think the scene that shows that the best mm-hmm, is when mm-hmm. Olivia's looking at the twins' beds and mm-hmm. having that conversation with them when they're not really there. But they're saying it in childlike words, but it's very scary because it's children saying these horrible things like, what if I do this? And something that they should not know She's about. She's talking about waking them up from the dreams. Yeah. Would you wake us up from that? She's like, yeah, of course. And then they're like mm-hmm. immediately put in that situation yeah. like because it's a flashback scene. Woo. They had that as the teaser trailer for a while, and that was a good-ass move, because that shit is fucked up. Yeah. It's so scary. That's exactly what I was thinking of in that reality-unreality moment. And she has so many of those, like, seeing Nell on the slab, seeing the twins in the reflection at the vanity. Like, she just keeps having these moments of... Yeah. Like, her real son is standing in front of her. She can't even be there. Real. Yeah. Yeah. So we're going to put a little pin in this because it's it's like 10 hours of television. There's a lot to discuss. 
And we have a lot more shit to say. Exactly. We haven't even talked about the house yet. <laughs> We've only talked about the fucked up characters, not even the fucked up setting yet. We only talked about the dysfunctional family. I know. And we haven't even been that funny yet, I feel like. Not our usual selves. We went on a 30-minute tangent talking about Mary Kay. cake as a Exactly. Ghost. With tassels. Oh, yeah. That was very good. And my statue with the Mardi Gras beads. And there would be a statue posing, and then you would be like, this is crazy. And then there would be me as a ghost right next to it doing the same shit. That's funny as hell. That's some deep focus I'd like to see. We're like slowly panning, but in the background, Mary Kay's just like twirling her titties. Like, (laughs) (laughs) Would you expect literally anything different from Mary Kay's ghost? Answer that so honestly. I'd steal french fries off your plate. No, you try to eat them, they just like fall on the ground and then the animals would get it. And I'd be like, God damn it. Can't even eat them, but she'd still steal them. That's, that was like extra vindictive. You don't care if they get a French fry. You know, I don't want them to have a French fry. You can't even eat the French fry. What the fuck? Yep. I'd be the ghost too when you fell asleep with your lipstick on, came and like rubbed it off for you so you don't get it all over your pillows. Aww, what a sweet ghost. You're welcome. I'll be the ghost too when you come home slammed. I'll leave a little glass of water by the table. But just some Tylenol there. No, there was a ghost like that in one of the MIU dorms who was like notorious oh for, uh, he lived on the 16th floor, oh is notorious God. for getting girls home safe. I love it. That's really cool. Unfortunately, that was none of the ghosts in this movie. Opposite. No. And we're going to talk more about the concept of the movie in part two, which will be one week from today. So that way you can kind of, you know, have a break from us. You can digest this shit. Yeah. And then... Isn't it two weeks from today? No, because it's part two. We're going to release this shit back to back for them. No. Because it's Mariah Carey season. I understand And we are giving. We're going to remind them back to back to go leave their reviews and follow us on the Holy Trinity of social media to earn these stickers. And the calendar. Yep. Yeah, so don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, and make sure you tell all your friends. That way you can have more friends to talk to our shit about. Talk yep. about our shit, too. Sorry. To, to shock, that was weird. To Ending talk your preposition. shit about and, us yeah. to them friends. I did it. <laughs> Woo! Yay! Okay. See you in a minute. It's been grand. Yep. Ah. Uh-huh.